Hello again. You came back after lunch. I'm so pleased. Because if it had been me, <laughs> and I'd gone and had burger and fries someplace, I would have just wanted to go home and take a nap. Um, thank you for being here. It's been a great conference, a great day. Um, let me just start from the beginning. No, don't be alarmed. I'm really not going to do that. Let me just recap a little bit for you what we have learned so far in this amazing chapter of Isaiah. And may I just encourage you to go home and open up your Bibles, open up your program even that you got here at this conference and read through this chapter. It is <clears throat> it is so beautiful. Read it out loud. Read it to your husband. Read it to your kids. Read it to yourself. And, and let the words of it just sink into you and um, bring healing to you and joy and hope. But we started out with... Um, the cry of comfort that your warfare is ended, that your sins are pardoned, that the Savior has come and will come again. There was that cry of comfort, a cry of, of preparation, a cry of the coming of Jesus Christ the first time, and, and then a cry of his returning. Um, the glory of the Lord the second time it shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it. Um, and then we heard this cry of reality that we are like grass and that we will fade and and um, he could just blow on us and we would disappear. And I was thinking last night, I got in bed, I was with my grandson, Jet, who's just a, he's a, a firecracker of a kid. And um, we were riding in the car. I was sitting in the back with him and he was in his car seat. <clears throat> I think we were in the um, parking lot of Target pulling out because I was probably buying him stuff. But um, <clears throat> And there was one of these cars, I think it's a DeLorean, where the the, the way, is that what it is when the wing, the, the doors open like this? So this guy was getting his car and the, and the doors went up like this and Jack goes, Oh, look at that. And he said, Grammy, when I grew up, I'm going to have a car just like that. And I said, Oh, Jet, I bet you are. And do you know what? When you grow up, I'm going to ride in that car with you. And he leaned over in his car seat and he looked at me and he said, Uh, Grammy, you'll be dead. Um, and when I did the math, he was, he was right. I, and she says, I can't do math, but there I go. I did it right there for you. <clears throat> How temporary we are. Um, and then we heard so much about the Lord, his strong hand and the heart of a shepherd. And then we heard Mindy this morning, this unparalleled description of God and his, in his glory and his power and his might and his creative ability and his, I loved his attention to details that he had counted everything and he knew where everything was, that there's no one like him and no one his equal <clears throat> and that he is in control of everything. All the nations, all the judges, all the presidents, all the governors, he still is in charge, working out his will in ways that maybe we don't see or understand. But he has not stepped off the throne. He is doing what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants. <clears throat> and then we saw um, after that this magnificent eagle. I just, I loved it when he lifted up his wings. He just looked so powerful. I just wanted to go, oh, just go ahead, fly. Just... <laughs> Just do it. Just break out. I wanted to see him um, just soar. He, he was he was beautiful. What a fun thing that was. Only Calvary Chapel, Philly, would <laughs> would have an eagle in a session. I mean, the eagle had his own session. Um, and I, I loved all the information. I, 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 I thought it was, was so much fun and such a great visual. 
Um, so not only did we have all this, these beautiful scriptures and these messages and the eagle and all that, now we come to, um, the last part. And I know you want to get to the eagle part, but y- you can't jump over what comes next to get to the flying part. There is something that you have to do in order to be able to fly. I wish we could just jump there and be like the eagle and soar with the heights, but we can't. There are definite instructions. There are definite restrictions. There are definite requirements for you and I to fulfill this scripture, to mount up with wings as eagles. But I love, after all this, I mean, the last scripture that Mindy shared was, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who bring out their host by number. He's talking about the stars and the galaxy, and he calls them by name, by the greatness of his might and strength and his power. Not one is missing. Not one star is missing. But then, in verse 27, there's this this thing that I think is so odd, but then as I really looked at it, I realized, this is just so me. Even though I know all this... And Isaiah says, why do you say Jacob or and speak Israel? And why do you say this? And this is what they said. My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over. With all that they have heard and reading the scrolls that Isaiah had said and prophesied and the crying and the comfort and, and everything that had been done, now they say, and I think this is so funny because it says, my way is hidden from the Lord. Well, if this guy, whoever this was, Israel and Jacob, those countries, had been hidden from the Lord, Isaiah wouldn't have known what they said. So right there, they should know that they're busted. He knows their way is not hidden. Their voices are not quieted. God knows, he sees, he hears. Do you know that somewhere it says, (laughs) I was trying to do a psalm last night, somebody found me the right scripture for it, because I'm getting to that age where I can just go, somewhere it says. (laughs) It it, it says, the psalm was that in the multitude of our anxieties, his comforts delight my soul. See, I can... I can, I can do that, but, but, but somewhere it says that God hears when we speak about him to one another and he writes it down. So he is hearing them speak about him right now. And Isaiah, I think, is writing it down. But, but what an insane question to ask after all this information and all this glory and all this power of God has been displayed in the way that they had heard and listened to. And so again, he says to them, have you not known? How many times? Is this a third time? Have you not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, remember, we were just talking about him, he neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is un." Searchable. Verse 27 makes me ashamed of all the times I feel like this. I I love the book of Habakkuk. I love it when the first chapter in Habakkuk is going, I'm crying out. You're doing nothing. Do you not see? Where are you? Are you fair? Do you care? Are you there even? I mean, this is a prophet of God who's asking these things. And, And sometimes I just, I feel like that. Do you see this? Are you allowing this? Are you ordaining this? Do you know about this? Anybody else would confess that sometimes we just, we just don't know. But Isaiah now is crying out to them against that 
statement and he says to them, have you not heard? Have you not known? Have you not understood? This is a God who sees. This is a God who knows. This is a God who cares about you. You've heard all this and you still do not know. Even the greats of the Bible struggle like this. David, in his Psalms, time and time again, hear my cry, O Lord, attend to me right now. From the ends of the earth, he said, I'm crying unto you. He's saying, and, and, and then he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. He's crying out, do you see me? Do you know where I am? Listen to me. Look at me. And I love David that he says, now lift me because I can't even get up to this rock that's higher than I am. God is never surprised, first of all, by our doubts and our questions. And he is never threatened by them at all. He is God. We can be ourselves. We can be honest. Sometimes I think when I'm praying for something that I really, I really want an answer to this, and I'm just, I'm really praying, and, and I think, what if I pray scripture? Maybe that would impress God. What if I would quote his word back to him? That would, you know, he'd really, you know, and I try to pray this really eloquent, amazing prayer that he's going to answer. You know, we don't have to pretend with him. He knows what's in our heart. We don't have to come up with these eloquent tirades that we go on telling him how great he is so that he will answer our prayer. He hears the moans of our prayer. He hears even the very breath of prayer. So we can doubt and we can question. He's not afraid of that. But even after all they have heard, why do you say that my way is hidden from you and that my just claimed is passed over? That's like I prayed for something and I didn't get it and it was just and you did not answer me. But then I love his answer. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He neither faints or is weary. Have you not known this God? He neither faints nor is weary. And I love the next verse because I know this one to be true very, very strongly. His understanding is unsearchable. I can praise God. I can love God. I can serve God. I can worship God. I can learn about God. But his understanding is unsearchable. He's God. He is mysterious. He is supernatural. His thoughts are higher than mine. His ways better than mine. We're never going to understand him because he's God and we're just us. I may be weary. I may be weak. I may be wondering, is my way hidden from you, God? Have you forgotten or passed over my prayers? Do you see this? Do you know what I'm going through? Do you know about my prodigal? Do you know about my health? Do you know about my husband? Do you know? I didn't mean to say it like that. My husband's, <laughs> my husband's perfect. He is. He pretty much is perfect. <clears throat> Do you understand my fears and my hurts? We might even say, I see other prayers answered. Do you hear mine? Do you understand me? He understands me, but there's no way that I can really understand him. I've tried. He's mysterious. He's God Almighty. He does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with whom he wants, whenever he wants. He's God. I'm never going to understand him. Never going to understand how he operates, how he plans, 
never going to understand his love for me. That just makes no sense to me at all because I'm pretty not very lovable myself. I'll never understand his forgiveness. Even though I love the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, I'm never going to understand. I am never going to understand why he did that for me. Never. I'm unworthy of that. But this God that we don't understand, here is what he's going to do. I love that when it's answered, it doesn't say, yes, God does see you. Yes, he doesn't say that. He says, have you not known, have you not heard that this, this is more important than what your questions are. He's going to give power to the weak and might to those who have no might. Now there I'm totally qualified. I, this, this is my club. These are my people. This is my group. I am weak. I am, I have no might of my own. And to those of us who are, you have to be that way in order to get the next thing. He increases strength. And it's not like the natural strength and the power that we might have. It's not like um, a young man. It's not like I was when I was younger. It's not even like I am within myself because I basically am... I don't know if I'm physically strong, but temperament-wise, I'm just strong. I'm going to do what I need to do when I have to do it. I'm going to battle through, and I'm going to push through until it gets done. I'm going to push through my grief. I'm going to, I, I, I am strong like that, but that's my natural strength, and I don't need natural strength. I need supernatural strength, and that's what he has to give us, this mighty, mysterious God of ours. And even though he makes himself known to us in so many ways, he displays his character and his heart and his power, his compassion, his covenant with us. Oh, and his love displayed blazes across the pages of Scripture, his matchless, sacrificial love. But he is mysterious, his reasons yet to be revealed, mysteries yet to be unfolded. His understanding is unsearchable because he's God. And I used to think that I couldn't wait to get to heaven, and I actually wrote down a list of all the things that I wanted to ask him when I got there. There were just a lot of questions that, why did this happen, and why am I tall, and and why did this son do this, and this daughter do that, all the questions that I had when I got there that I wanted answers to. But I have finally come to the realization that when I get there and I stand before him, I'm not going to have any more questions. I'm not going to need any more answers because everything that I need to know will be answered by the who that he is, this God of mine. And in that, and until that day when I see him, I trust, I rest in that. I worship him because of that, this God who is everlasting, who is creator, who does not faint, he does not grow weary. Not only who and what he is, but now what he does. And then there's this cry of power. He gives power to the faint and strength to the powerless. And as I said, That's me. He gives who he is and what he is. He gives it to us. Those who are faint and feeble and failing, faltering, fragile, falling, he knows, he sees, and he gives to that his strength. 
And in case we doubt who we are, the faint and the powerless, he now cries out, even the young are going to grow weary. Even the young men are going to utterly fall. So it has nothing to do with age or your natural ability. It has to do with who God is and what he wants to give to you and how desperately you need it. But here's the catch. All this sounds really good, but here's how we get it. Here's how it happens. And there's no wiggle room out of this, and this is the same scripture. We get it by waiting. Sorry. You can't sign up. You can't order it from Amazon. You can't. We get it by waiting. Waiting opens the door for God to give us the strength that we so badly need. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. We wait. We wait desperately because all of us need what he has to give. Those that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. And as Kathy shared, and I think maybe Mindy might have shared too, this this renewed strength is not our strength made stronger. It's an exchange. We give him our weakness, and he gives us his strength. And waiting is what opens the door and allows that to happen. And I don't know about you, I hate to wait. I am an impatient woman. I hate to wait in traffic. I hate to wait in line. I hate to wait at the DMV more than anything. I hate to wait for my computer even to boot up or my coffee to drip down in the morning. I hate to wait at Target. I was at Target not too long ago. And th- this is the, my, one of my greatest dreads it is I get in line and I put my stuff on the thing and one of my items does not have the thing on it so that she can read it. So, and I'm going, it's okay, I don't want it. No, she says, no, 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 it's okay. So she gets on like the microphone and she's calling all, you know, shoes over there. I need a price check. And now we're all waiting. And, and I, I said, I said to her, I said, oh, please, I don't, I don't need these. She's, no, 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 it's going to be okay. And I said, why does this always happen to me? And the woman behind me said, and why am I always behind you in line? She hated to wait more than I did. But this is the waiting on the Lord that allows him to provide our strength. That word wait also means hope. It means both. Those who wait, it's almost like it says those who wait in hope. It's a biblical practice that does a work in us that nothing else can do. Let me just share a couple things that this waiting is not. It's not sitting around. Not just, okay, God's not doing anything. I'm just going to sit here and wait until he decides to do something. That's not what this kind of waiting is. It's not being inactive. It's not being impatient. It's not really waiting for something or waiting for a miracle or even an answered prayer or a new governor or a new president (laughs) or an end to COVID. All those things would be good. It's not waiting for an end to a trial. 
or a testing because we are not waiting for something as we wait. We are waiting for someone and what he will do. He will strengthen us. God is not in a hurry. He holds time in his hands. He wants to give us the reward and the treasures that result in waiting. He wants to give us this strength. But he knows that we have to choose to wait. And waiting challenges our faith. It convicts our heart. It confounds our intellect. But it convinces our spirits. And it stretches our patience and enlarges our souls. Waiting does a work that nothing else can do. Some of the most defining moments in my life spiritually have happened while I have waited on God. Waiting changes complaining hearts into grateful hearts. Waiting causes us to lay down our burdens, our bundles, our baggage. In waiting, my will is abandoned to his. My self-like is relinquished to him for the life of the spirit. I wait, I hope, and I become overwhelmed and overruled by my God. Waiting breaks down my strongholds, breaks through my fear, breaks into my thoughts, breaks apart my will, and makes me break out in faith and break out in worship and wonder. I talked about Habakkuk before. I do love the little book of Habakkuk, but I love when he was he was having this tor- horrible trial and couldn't find an answer and didn't think God was working. And God said, I want you to go up into the watchtower. I want you to go get alone, and I want you to wait. And he also told him, I want you to write. And so Habakkuk goes up there, and he waits, and he hears from, the God, from God, and he writes down um, these amazing words that God gives him, the just shall live by faith. Never really, that was a whole new concept to Habakkuk. It took Paul like three books of the New Testament to explain what that really meant. But what if Habakkuk had gone up there and he hadn't waited or he hadn't written it down? And when I'm waiting like that on the Lord, I write things down. I write down what I'm learning. I write down what I'm giving up. I write down what God is doing in my heart as I'm waiting. And it makes me break out. In worship to him. Not because anything specific happened. But because he has met me there. To wait upon him is to know your need for him. To believe him. To commit yourself to him. To walk in his direction. This is what God requires in order for him to impart to us this strength. This supernatural strength that we give him our weakness, and he gives us his strength. In waiting, hope breaks through. Hope breaks through, and strength arrives. The strength of his power, renewed, exchanged. We exchange it for him. I love that thought. And that's not the only exchange that God loves to do. If you read through scripture, he exchanged our penalty for his son. He exchanged our death for life. He exchanges joy, turns it into sorrow, ashes into beauty, fear into faith, guilt into mercy. And he exchanges 
our weakness for his strength. For his strength, not my own. And the reason God does this, he has to do something supernatural because what he wants us to do is supernatural. He wants us to fly. He wants us with the strength to mount up like eagles. That's what the waiting's for, to fly. But not only to fly, because it's supernatural to fly, but he also wants us to be able to, to run without becoming weary. And see, all of these things, if you run, I'm not a runner, but if no matter what kind of a runner you are, if you run far enough, you're going to become weary. But this kind of strength, you're not even going to become weary. And if you walk, if you walk for a long time, if you're a walker, you get up in the morning, you walk and you move your arms and, and stuff, eventually you will become faint. But it's supernatural. None of that is going to happen. You are going to fly like the wings of an eagle. You are going to run the race and you are going to walk the walk because of this strength that he gives us. This is what happens when we wait. And I wish it were easier. I wish I could give you a formula. I love to make lists. Do one, two, three, four, and then this will happen. Nope. Waiting opens the door. This wonderful chapel, chapel of Isaiah has all been all about hope. Hope whose source is found in the Lord and conditioned upon our waiting on him. And I pray and hope if you came here this weekend and you were feeling hopeless and helpless that this chapter has ministered to you in ways that I simply can't. If you've come feeling weary or worn out or worthless or worried, I just pray that this chapter of Isaiah will meet you where we are. If we wait on God, he enables us to soar, to soar over, to get a different view of what's going on from the heights, to run when the challenges are so many, to walk faithfully in the day-by-day demands of life. This is the supernatural life that God wants us to live totally available, provided for you and I from our magnificent, powerful God. This is the comfort that he brings. We can live this kind of life because of what he wants to do in us. And I'd like to close this afternoon by something. I asked Kathy if this would be okay. Um, there's, there's just some areas that are, are on my heart of things that you might be struggling with. Of, um, I was kind of amazed when I asked last night if anybody came troubled. Probably half the room um, stood up. Um, I, I don't want any, any of you to leave here today thinking um, this just went over your head. You didn't get it. Or thinking God didn't see you or God didn't want to help and God didn't have a word for you or God didn't want to touch you in, in some way. I want each girl who's sitting here to know the, the love of God and how he wants to do a work in your life. So I'm just going <clears> to <throat> try to hit a couple of areas here before we go home that are, that are on my heart um, for you that, that we might pray together. Um, and um, the first one is prodigals. If, if you have a prodigal, would you just stand up? You know what a prodigal is, right? If you have a prodigal, would you just stand up? <clears throat> I have a prodigal, so I'm standing here. I'm probably going to stand for every single one. But um, um, 
And those of you who are around him, if you just reach out and touch him so they feel a little physical something. And, and look how many of you. I've, I've never known of so many prodigals. In, in all my years as a Christian, I have never seen so many um, kids who grew up believing turn away, ever. It's, um, the world is evil and dark, and it is after our kids, and it's after this younger generation, and it's after my kids, and it's after my grandkids. And I, and I heard this story about a mother of a prodigal who'd prayed and prayed and prayed, and she was just, just gonna give up, and God spoke to her, and, and, and he, he said, I, he said, I want you to look Satan in the face, I want you to say this. You have messed with the wrong mama. You cannot have my kid. So let's pray. Lord, I pray for these mothers or grandmothers that are standing. Um, I know what a heartbreak this is personally. I know how, how scary it is to see your kid walk away from all you've taught him, her, her, and all the love that you've given him. Lord, I, I, I know, I know myself what that's like. But, um, you see, you know where each child represented is right, is where they are right now at this moment. You have that locator on them, and you know where they are. You know who they're with. You know what they're doing. You know the state of their mind. You know the state of their heart. You know their state of their physical body. And we're just going to ask you, Father, please, would you just turn them around and bring them home? Would you gather them up like this good shepherd, the lost one, went looking for the lost one and bring them home? We're going to, we're trusting you for that. We're begging you for that. We know you are able, you know, we know you are more powerful to do that, Lord. And you know that you love these kids more than we do. And we ask that you do that. I want to come back to this church and hear stories about prodigals who came home, Lord. I want to go to my friends and my family and hear stories of prodigals who came home. Turn them around. Bring them back. Bring them back to you. And we will praise you from the rooftops. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have financial troubles, am I going to be the only one who stands for this? If you have financial troubles, would you stand, please? Really? Is that all? I'm moving to Philly. Is it really? That's all? Okay. You wouldn't like it in California. We're broke. We have nothing. Um, and before I pray for you, I want to tell you the story that I, that I love. It's, it's about George Mueller. I don't know if you've ever read any of his books or anything, but George Mueller had all these orphanages, and he did them all by faith. He never asked for money. He never asked for anything. And he would run out of things. And I remember reading in this book that one day he ran out of any kind of milk or anything for his for the orphans in his orphanage, and he just prayed in the morning. He didn't ask anybody. And about mid-morning, there's a knock on the door, and the guy who had the milk truck who delivered to the neighborhood, he'd had a flat tire or something, and he said, I cannot, there's no way I can deliver this stuff now can I just give it to you so those kind of things I mean I, I want to what was his secret I don't know how he got the answers that he did but my favorite one was that he was they were totally out of money so in the morning he had he had prayed and, and he had prayed a prayer that I've prayed a couple times and probably sounds a little disrespectful but um, he said your word says that you own the cattle on a thousand hills we don't need cattle <laughs> Have you ever thought that? What good does that do me? He said, we don't need cattle. We need money. That was his prayer. I mean, really kind of gut on us. We don't need cattle. So that was just, that's how he prayed. If you read his book, he will, there's just, he holds nothing back. So 
In the afternoon, his secretary comes to him and she says, there is a man, this is true, at the door of the orphanage, he wants to talk to you. And so he comes into his office and he sits down and he says, I, you don't know me, but I've heard about you, your work and I want you to know I have, I have a cattle ranch in Texas and I just sold my herd and I'm giving you all the money. So um, God can do amazing things. I know. I know. Um, we had a, Mike used to pay all our bills. I'm sorry, you're still standing. Let me tell you what. Mike used to, to, we were first in the ministry and we had nothing. Mike used to write all the checks out, kind of in faith, and he'd put them in envelopes and he'd stamp them and stuff and he'd put them on the desk at his, at his office in, in Costa Mesa. And then, when, as money came in, he would mail one at, one at a time what needed to be done. Well, one night his secretary is going home and she says, oh, Mike left all this unmailed, unmailed mail unmailed mail. And um, and she took it and she mailed them all. And he came in the next morning. He says, where's all? He says, why mail? He says, you can't do that. There's no money in my account. So I remember exactly the amount. It was $366. And the next day there were, and nobody knew. She didn't know. Secretary didn't know how much money. There were $366 in our, in our mailbox. So not quite like the cattle, but still to us, that was absolutely miraculous. So let me pray for you. Father, these are, we are living in tough times. Um, we are. Things are costing more, and, and we seem to have less. And we hear stories about George Mueller, even about these bills being kind of miraculously paid, Lord. And, um, and, and we're just going to say we really don't need the cattle, but we, we, many of us standing here really do need cash. So whatever it is that the need is represented, if they need rent money, if they need a mortgage paid, if they even just need food to feed their family, Lord, you see, you know, would you somehow miraculously provide so that they would know it was you? So that they would know that they stood up in this building here on this day and you saw their need and you reached out and helped, Lord. We can come to you for anything. And we come with these needs now. Please provide. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> How about health? Health issues? Anybody? Yes, please stand. I'm sorry. If you can stand, if your health issue <laughs> prohibits you from standing. I have a knee that keeps giving out on me, and it keeps giving out on me in public. I don't know if you saw me yesterday trying to get up these stairs. It, it just collapses, and I have... Uh, no warning, doesn't hurt or anything, it just gives out. So, um, But I can still stand, so I'm standing here. So, okay, all right, that, that's it. Let's pray. Father, I know, I know you heal. I don't doubt the miraculous. Not for a minute, not for a second, do I doubt that you can heal. I've seen you heal. I've also seen you not heal. And these this is the way that you are so mysterious, that your understanding is beyond knowing. But, Father, we're going to ask for the best. And we're going to ask that these women who are standing here would receive your healing touch, Lord. If that's not your will, would you send comfort? Would you send medical people who can help? Would you give great patience? Would you relieve pain? 
But mostly, Lord, we're just going to ask you to heal. I know that you can. But I've probably learned more from not being healed than I did from being healed. But we're asking, Lord. We're asking because many of us, many of these girls standing are suffering. They may even be scared. They may be looking at a future that's bleak. Would you calm them, quiet their fears, wrap your arms around them, pull them close, let them know your love for them, and do whatever is within your perfect will for them. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Okay, one last one. What time is it, Kath? Okay, one, one, one last thing. If you have an unspoken need that you, I didn't hit it, or even if I had hit it, you wouldn't stand up because you didn't want anybody to know. Um, just an unspoken need that you came in here with that you really need a, a word from God, a touch from God. You need to know God hears, sees, and understands. Would, would you stand, please? Father, you are mysterious. We can't understand you, but you understand us. You see all, you hear all, you know all. Each woman standing, there's, there's a need that can't be spoken. But it was great enough that she had the courage to stand up. Would you somehow reassure her that you see this? And you know about this, and you're working in this area, Lord. Would she be willing to open up her heart to you, to hear from you, to follow you, to obey you in some area? If there's a broken heart, would you heal it? If there's grief, would you calm it? If there's doubt, would you reassure the sweetness of you and your love for us, the sweetness of your Holy Spirit, Lord, working, moving across this auditorium, would you just touch? And would not one woman go home from this event feeling like she just didn't get anything from you? Would each one of us know you were here among us, you were here within us, you were speaking, you were teaching, you were drawing us close to you. You were loving us the whole way. Use these lessons from the 40th chapter of Isaiah, Father, please, in all our lives, not just those who are standing. Change us, rearrange us, make us more like you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. You may sit down. Okay, one more thing. One more thing. Um, and, and, I, and I don't know why I'm going to do this because I wasn't going to do this. I think I've told this story before here, but, um, but I can't seem to get it out of my thoughts, which usually mean God wants to, to do this. So, um, and there, there's somebody here who needs to hear this personal story from me um, that I know I have shared here before. Um, Um, When I was a little girl, 
And, and this is really what Isaiah 40 is all about. It's God calling us to himself. He's just saying, come, come, let me love you. Come, let me heal you. Come, let me give you strength. Come, let me comfort you. All, all of Isaiah 40 is that call upon our lives. Come unto me. I love that from Matthew. All you that labor and, and are heavy burden, come unto me and I will give you rest. He has it all. That's why we wait for him because it is all in him. But maybe this will help this little illustration. My, my, my dad loved my dad. I was crazy about my dad. I thought I was going to marry him when I grew up. I didn't know what I was going to do with my mother, but he was just, he was, I liked her, but I really, I know I loved her, but I, I love my dad. He was, he was, he was, and he was as crazy about me as I was about him. He wrote me letters my whole life. Um, he, he wrote me a letter when I turned 40, said, um, you were the first girl I ever fell in love with when your mother held you in her arms and I saw you for the first time. Um, he, he was, he was sweet. He was kind. He was an Englishman. He was very reserved and, um, born and raised in England, but, but very tender and very, uh, few words, but everything, every word that he said, you really listened to, but he had this thing that he would always do when I, when I was a little girl and I grew up in Illinois and, and my dad had a chair that he sat in in the living room. He wasn't a guy who watched TV or anything. He sat and he read after dinner. And, and in those days, dad's had a chair. It was dad's chair and you better not sit in it. And if you are, you better get out of it when he walks in the room because he wants his chair. Anyway, so, um, he would sit in his chair and I would come out of the kitchen. I was helping my mom with the dishes or whatever. Probably not, but I should have been. But anyway, and, and I would, I would pass his chair, and as I passed his chair, um, he wouldn't look up from what he was doing. He, he wouldn't. He wouldn't even say anything. He would just do this. He would just pat the side of his chair, and it was like a signal. It was like a call to me. And what that patting meant? It meant, "Come here." And when I was a little girl, I came out of the kitchen. I used to slow down because I just, I didn't want to miss it. This patting because I knew he wanted me to come sit with him. He was saying, come unto me. And I used to, couldn't get there fast enough. And when I was little, I used to crawl up into his lap. And when I was, when I was older, I used to sit at his feet. And I don't know if I was there five minutes, ten minutes or whatever, but he had called me. And so I had come because he loved me and he was my dad. But when I became a teenager and I thought I was too cool for school and I thought I was too cool for my dad and I would come out of the kitchen, same house and go up to my room and pass my dad. I didn't slow down. I hurried up because I had so many important things to do in my room. No more important than my dad. I had to pick out my clothes for tomorrow, fix my hair, call my friends. And when I made that trip from the kitchen to the stairs, I would rush by him. But do you know what? Not one time did he not do this. Not once. Never gave up on me. Never stopped patting his chair. And, and when I was an adult, I thought, oh, what an idiot I am. What did his face look like as I just rushed past him and went upstairs? And, and But I never could undo it. It was done. And then I got married, and I moved out, and I moved to California, and they moved to California. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Mike and I got married, then we got divorced, then we got married again. So long story. But um, <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, so, so now we're born again and we're Christians and my dad is too. And so my dad becomes very ill. He has leukemia. And, um, Mike and I are in, um, San Diego and he's up in Orange County, California. So, um, we wanted to go see him. He'd been hospitalized. So we drove up, um, one day and it was about this time of year because the World Series was on. Maybe that's why I was thinking about it. It was, it was in the fall and we went, my mom wasn't there and we went and we stayed with him a while and we, we talked and, um, and Mike prayed with him and, um, and, and Mike looked at me and said, he looks really tired. Let's, let's go and let him get some rest and we'll come back tomorrow. And I said, 
Okay, so you know, I kissed him goodbye and I hugged him and told him I loved him and I and just as I got to the door of his hospital room I heard and I, I looked at Michael and I said, Could you just wait right here? There's something I have to do. And I couldn't get to him fast enough. In fact, this very reserved Englishman, I think I scared him to death. I I jumped right into his hospital bed and I put my my face right there on his neck like I used to do when I was a little girl and told him how much I loved him and told him how sorry I was. I ran by his chair all that time and what a great dad he had been. And it was just the sweetest, the sweetest moment. And um, then I said goodbye and Mike and I went home and my mother called me about two in the morning and said, he's gone. But that was my last time with him. And you know what? I had a wonderful father. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, if you knew my dad, that never would have happened. Maybe it's making you miss my father. It's making me, your father, it's making me miss mine. But this is not about my father. This is about our heavenly father. And he is exactly like this. He's just, he's just waiting for you. He's been waiting for some of you a long time to be fully committed to you. He's been waiting for you a long time to trust him. He's been waiting for you a long time to wait on him so he can give you the strength that he's needing. He is doing this. Listen. He's calling you. Listen, respond. Draw closer to him than you've ever been before. In Jesus' name, Father, we ask these things. My heavenly Father, my amazing, powerful, loving, kind, heavenly Father. Thank you that you love us like this. I pray for each woman sitting here that as she gets up and she gets ready to go to, she climbs into bed tonight, that the last thing she'll hear is this, you calling her to yourself. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. I had lots to say, but I think it was all just said. It was all just said because as my grandfather called my mom to his side, hours before he went to go be with Jesus, our Heavenly Father is calling us, and he's calling us to come. The one that we learned about this weekend who says, I am your comforter. I'm sending a Messiah, a Savior for you. He's a good shepherd. He's going to take his hand that holds the ocean waters, that has our pain and everything inscribed on it, the hand that flung the stars into the sky, that takes you into himself as the good shepherd, is calling you. Maybe today it's to return to him. He's calling, return to me. You've left your first love. Come back. I am the God of comfort. Maybe you realize that you are putting your comfort in the wrong things. Come back and return to him. But I know, as my mother did last night, that there are some here tonight who have never said, Lord, I believe. I receive you. You are God. You are holy and mighty and powerful. And if we want to choose to trust in you and therefore wait in you, we can mount up on wings like eagle and fly. And so if there are any of you here this afternoon who have never received Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do so. And I want to ask the first couple rows of the prayer team to just come up front and to just stand. And I want, to, I want us all to bow our heads. And I want us to pray together. And then as the worship team sings this final song, if you just want to come up 
And they will pray with you. They will talk with you. They will answer any questions you might have about Jesus. And maybe you you know the Lord and you've come to the Lord and you just need prayer. You just need one-on-one specific prayer. They're here for you as well. But let's all bow our heads and just sit quietly before the Lord. And for those of you who have never received him, know this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it tells us in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we may live forever with him. And that we have an inheritance prepared for us with Jesus in heaven. And all we have to do is confess that Jesus is Lord and confess our sins. So if you have never received the Lord, you've never asked him to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins, would you please pray in your heart silently to yourself after me? Dear God, I believe. I believe that you are real. I believe that you are true. I believe that you are holy. And I believe that you are the God of comfort. I ask that you forgive me of my sins, that you come into my life, and you cleanse me from all unrighteousness and all my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, I want to pray for everybody here this afternoon. Lord, for those that are hurting for those who just didn't have the courage to stand up and ask for prayer. Lord, we know that you see them. You are the God who sees. You know all things. I pray that you would fill them with your peace that passes all understanding, that you would provide them with the comfort that only you can. And Lord, that they would mount up on wings like eagles, and they would run and not go weary, and walk and not faint, because you are their strength. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I want to invite you to come down as we sing this last song, and you can talk with any one of the prayer team members. And if you need one-on-one prayer, please come and let us pray for you. Amen?